general nerdery. So I'm in the middle of a vacation while we're recording this. So my day so far has been get up, make a pot of coffee, watch an awesome movie, and now I'm going to sit down and record about it. And how is this not just my regular life? Like, yeah, that's wh- a good why- question. <laughs> Why do I have to go move boxes for a living and can't just do this like every day of the week? So did you just wake up and just watch the movie? Oh yeah, it is 10.39 right now and we started watching it at 8am. Like I finished the movie, made more coffee, called you. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. That's that's a lot of fun. It's going to be great to have it that fresh, I think. Uh, But we got Uh, things to talk about before we get to the movie. Like, for example, welcome to General Nerdery, your podcast about liking things. Uh, we're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. And if the sound sounds a little wonky this time, it's because we're not in the same room and doing this over the phone. And uh, I am willing to bet my microphone is not great. Yeah, it'll be fine. Uh, it's great. It's great. Um, With you not in the room... I'm wondering what background noises I'm going to end up with, with my cat actually like venturing in here and wanting to come up on the table and stuff with me. So, Oh, see, I thought you meant my side. And the answer is probably a lot of wind on the really like falling apart roof of our new house or some of the like 40 something peacocks that live on the property. Oh yeah, that could do it. It is a noisy place to live during their mating season. Like I know that's not nerd related, but I'm just letting you know. I mean, somebody's going to be nerdy about that. (laughs) Anyways, what have we been ingesting this week? Yeah, so surprise, surprise, stole a lot of Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Yeah. I won't go into the details, but I did have one of those moments where I read something wrong, or I miscounted, or something along those lines. So I went really, really, really hard in the paint one of the days trying to get one of the legendary weapons and then realized I was still one step away that I just can't get done yet in the game. Oh, no. So that was I a bummer. when I do that. Just finished my Shit's Creek rewatch last night. How many times have you watched that now? Uh, just the two times. Oh, okay. Finished Battlestar Galactica earlier this week. That is amazing. Holy wow. Um, yeah, that one holds up. Wow. Um, and then the other big ingesting was last night was the Loki premiere. Oh, yeah, that's out now. So I watched that. Oh, I, finally, I finally got caught up on the Avengers movies, and now I need to get caught up on all of the TV shows. <laughs> How was it? Did you like it? I did like it. I, I, I mean, so far they've just been knocking it out of the fucking park with these, uh, these Disney Plus Marvel TV shows. But um, well, and let's be honest here, we're gonna let Tom Hiddleston play around as Loki as long as like, he wants. Yeah, for like eight episodes, and everyone's like, "Yeah, sure, man. Like, let's do this." The the kind of i guess twist at the end of the episode i thought was very easily guessed like two minutes into the episode but that doesn't that doesn't make it any less fun Mm -hmm. and it is only the first episode so i guess i'm just going to give a minor spoiler because i think everyone's kind of wondered what this show is going to be about anyway they're hiring him to track himself oh yeah i wondered if it was going to be loki versus loki yeah, it's a different, more deadly Loki that's that's out and about. 
And and this is like this is a version of Loki, the one that we have now, that never went through Thor Ragnarok. So who know? Like this is already a pretty deadly Loki. Yeah, yes, yeah, because it's, yeah, it's, this is Loki, um, post First Avengers movie, like directly mm-hmm. post First Avengers. Uh, he, Which I'm admittedly still annoyed about, but that's different thing. Um, they've already sent like there there are things in place where they're trying to fast track him through that emotional journey that we kind of got already, mm-hmm. so that you know he can go to being a little bit more likable the way that we all want him to be. Oh yeah. I just really love Thor Ragnarok. So yeah. they're like, um, no, it's, it's interesting so far. I can't see, I can't wait to see what else they do with it. Uh, there's already been some really fun sequences. So. Maybe I'll start Wanda fishing. Yeah. That's for later. Yeah, um, you should. I mean, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when let's see. What about myself? I don't remember if I mentioned this last time or not. I've started playing Spider-Man miles Morales. Oh Yeah. Because I'd finally beat previous Spider-Man, uh, and that remains a incredible game. I love Peter, but like anytime Miles is headlining something anymore, it's just a breath of fresh air to the Spider-Man franchise. Mm-hmm. My big thing has been I've been reading through all of the Valiant Shadow Man comics, like all of the modern run, mm-hmm. in the same way that a uh, few episodes back i was doing archer and armstrong so i went with uh shadow man from 2012 by james asmus up through i'm currently working through the indie diggle run that just ended last year like everything up through the series that just launched last month okay Um, uh, and it's kind of the opposite of archer and armstrong where archer and armstrong when it first launched was the best book on the market and the later follow-up series, I was like, this is very good. This is like a solid B to B-plus comic book. The Shadow Man relaunch, I'm like, this is very good. This is, you know, like a B. Like, it is extremely well done. If someone asked me if it was worth reading, I would say yes, but it's not, like, anywhere near my, like, this is some of the best this company or character or whatever has ever been. Mm -hmm. And then I read the Andy Diggle book, which I wasn't sure about when I first started, and suddenly was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. Like, just the creative team, the art, I think it's Steven Segovia as the launching artist, but they have, like, six artists on it. The uh, understanding of, like, the characters and giving them their own unique voices, giving uh, Alyssa Moy, who is a, not Moy, Alyssa something, who is the female character, uh, much more, like, agency and power as a character, everything is, like, four steps up from where it was before. It is a really good comic book. Hell yeah. Yeah. You texted me about that earlier this week and I was like, Oh man, Diggle wrote on, on Hellblazer. And I was already doing a little bit of Constantine research. So as soon as I got home from work, I was like, Oh man, what, what Hellblazer did Diggle write? And then I realized it was some of my favorite in the entire run and probably my favorite in like the later half of Hellblazer. So I completely also, believe that he can knock out of the park with. He also wrote uh, Green Arrow Year One, which is one of my favorite Green Arrow stories. And he is the source of the name Diggle from uh, Arrow. Right. John Diggle is named after him. Yeah, I, I wondered about that. I wasn't I didn't know that that was like a for sure, but that's awesome. 
I remember reading when the series first came out and someone asked him about that and he's like, that is the weirdest feeling. <laughs> like, oh, I, I can only imagine. I, I am a random comic book dude and they're a person named after me is like, I don't know if entering the mainstream counts, but like kind of entering the mainstream at least. Right. Um, but those are the big things for me. I got the the Grimjack omnibus arrived in the mail, the first one of three. I'm going to, we're going camping and I'm going to take that with me and just devour. Nice. Uh, but how about some news? How do we feel about that? I ask, like, we don't do this every time. Uh, I think hitting our newstastic four sounds amazing. Which do we want to start with? Well, I always feel like we should start with one of the Richards, so let's go with Reed. Give us some real before we enter into the goofy. Um, a new paper from some New Zealand researchers suggests uh, that uh, the Maori people may have traveled to Antarctica uh, a thousand years before pretty much anybody else that we know. That's insane. I mean, that's amazing, and hell yeah, we knew the Maori have traveled a lot more than we like to give them credit for, but, uh, man, that's cold. It's harder to track some of these things, um, Mm -hmm. partially because uh, in the past, uh, a lot of researchers kind of didn't care what local tribes had to say and what their stories said about where they went. Yeah, they were just like, sure, okay, whatever, dude. Uh, Yep, you went to the gold place. But then, you know, depending on where you're at and which culture you're talking about and stuff, a lot of them, like, if they went to a place and they weren't going to stay there, it's not like they left anything to mark that they went there. Mm -hmm. They'd show up and go, oh, hey, we're not going to stick around. (laughs) This does not seem like a cool place to hang out. Hey, I didn't mean to make that pun. And, well, and it's also a matter of, like, historical record gets really difficult. They have this problem with other, I mean, even in Britain, they have this problem with what, it depends on what your building materials were of how good a, like, archaeological record there is. It's one thing to go to Egypt, where everything was made out of stone and got buried in sand for 2,000 years, mm-hmm. compared to, well, we're in a bog, and everything was made of wood, or, you know... We're on an island. Most of our stuff was made of wood, and we did a whole lot of sailing. So I guess this research kind of focuses in... I I think there's a a number of different things that they're looking at, but the story that keeps getting brought up in a couple of the articles that I looked at is that they're looking uh, very closely at a bunch of different oral traditions concerning a, uh, a voyage in the 7th century by a Polynesian chief named Huitingte Rangiora that it seems at a certain point just kept going south and they <laughs> ran into some land and they're like, okay, and came back. This was fun. Um, and this would have been before even the, the Polynesian migration to New Zealand. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Man, that is so much cooler than anything I found for my news this week. (laughs) So, at the very least, they might not have landed there, but at the very least, it sounds like, from what they've been able to stitch together, that 
that expedition was probably the first human eyes to ever uh, see the Antarctic. Ah, that's cool. Okay. I love old things. Like, the further back in history you can go, the more interesting it is. Yeah. But that's what I got. That's my read this week. Oh, that's so cool. All right. Let's go with Ben. Ben Grimm. Old Rock Solid. Um, The cast for The Sandman was announced. And not only is an all-star cast. Well, the rest of the cast. The rest of the cast. Thank you. I'm sorry. Uh, watching Neil Gaiman give absolute zero fucks about people who are being racist or sexist or just generally crappy is just life affirming. (laughs) (laughs) I saw on Twitter someone being like, we don't have the old manly Neil Gaiman of the 90s anymore. And Neil was like, what? What are you talking about? (laughs) Have you ever read anything I've ever written? So some of these we already knew. So I only know who some of these characters are even. So you're going to have to uh, help me with updating the who's who on these. First of all, we have Kirby Howell Baptiste as Death. Um, yeah, um, I've only seen her in two things, but. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've never seen her before. Oh, I also like that they put the characters pronouns when they're like a anou- announcing actor and cast and stuff. I just thought that was an easy way of doing things. Um, I don't know her from anything. She's pretty. Like, I I, I hate to just stereotype as that, but literally all I have on her is this picture. Yeah, um, lately, uh, for things that I've watched with her, she, she was in The Good Place, which is probably where I first ran into her, uh, and then I started watching Barry, and she has a recurring role on Barry as well. Oh, cool. We have Mason Alexander Park as Desire, another one of the Endless. Uh, their casting is some of the, the most interesting blowback I've seen. Because, oh, because Desire is non-binary? Like, Desire might be one of the most explicitly non-binary characters I've ever seen in a comic. Well... And if you're going to be the physical manifestation of desire, I mean, if we're being honest, anyone, any of the endless having a gender is sort of weird if yes. you like think about it too closely, but especially desire. Especially, yeah. Uh, Donna Preston is despair. I, I don't think I've ever even seen this person before. Uh, I, I think she does like some British comedies. I can't actually have a like i don't know who she is either to be honest rosane jamal is lida hall wait hall is that like hawkman yeah yeah because yeah because it was um because carter and lida are daniels shouldn't that be shiera no no it was they were the ones that were stuck in the dreaming and con- and conceived him in the dreaming Okay. See, I've never finished Sandman, and my that's showing here. Um, Jolie Richardson as Ethel Cripps, and oh, Niam Walsh as young Ethel Cripps. Oh, that's right. I was about to say, what do I know Jolie Richardson from? But that's because she was in The Patriot and Event Horizon, both of which I've seen too many times. <laughs> I haven't watched The Patriot since I was like 15. Um... <laughs> 
David Thewlis as John D. He is obviously best known for Harry Potter, but he was also Ares, God of War. Yeah, David Thewlis, and has just been like racking up a ton of just like different genre roles. Mm-hmm. He's always good, even when he's given like a not great role. Like you know, as much as I liked Wonder Woman, Ares was not the strongest point. No. We have Keo Ra as Rose Walker. Patton Oswald uh, voicing Matthew the Raven, which I think is amazing. Yeah, that's going to be good. That's going to be good. Although it's, I think he's going to make a great Matthew the Raven voice, but it's weird to think that Matthew the Raven is also Matt Cable. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, Swamp Thing. That was so weird. Stephen Fry as Gilbert. Yeah, I'm down. That sounds good. And, and pretty much anything Stephen Fry's in, I'll watch. I've watched <laughs> some bad things because of that. Uh, Jenna Coleman as uh, Johanna Constantine. So this which, they've this actually is... expanded upon. Oh? Um, she's not only going to be playing uh, Lady Johanna Constantine. She's also going to be playing a female modern-day version of Constantine, which they were kind of... Not very clear with the details, but might just be like a way that like Joanna Constantine might have found a way to just live that long. Like it might still just be her, but. Oh, interesting. But she's going to be doing Constantine um, in the period flashback that occurs. But she's it sounds like she's just going to be taking over uh, Constantine's little one issue arc Mm -hmm. that happens early on as well. Well, if for whatever reason you can't do Matt Ryan as Constantine, you gotta change it up. You gotta make it like very unique. And um, I think Jenna Coleman could be really fun at it. I this was the casting that saddened me because uh, I think I think Kirby Howell Baptiste is going to knock it out of the park with death. But I'm sad mm-hmm. that I don't get to live in a universe where I get to see this show done twice. Once with Kirby Hal Baptista's death, and once with Jenna Coleman as death. Moment, I never would have thought of Jenna Coleman as death, but I think she really could have done it well. Um, I think anyone who has been a regular cast member on Doctor Who has a pretty good understanding of the kind of like whimsy required to play someone like this. Also, hers is another like <sighs> all these people just trying to rail against this casting, and just showing their ass at what they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Everybody's saying, well, I did say, you know, I I've already clarified. She is going to be playing a weird, like gender flipped version, but there was a lot of people claiming that Johanna was the gender flipped version of Constantine. And I'm like, Oh, so you haven't read, you haven't read Sandman. Cause she's actually important to the story. He's not, they both show up. Yeah. But he just kind of shows up in passing. I mean, if I understand it, he's not wildly more important than when Mr. Miracle and Martian Manhunter showed up in the first uh, he's, episode or two. He's barely more important than when they show up. And I would actually argue that it's more important the other way around. It's way more important in Constantine's storylines, which this show is not about, that mm-hmm. he met Dream than it ever is that... The Dream met him mm-hmm. uh and then for our last one here we have sander james young as unity kincaid i'm down yeah 
I, I believe she's done some EastEnders. I, it, she's another one that I haven't seen her in anything. But, like, I'm excited. Every, nothing, nobody looks bad about this. Like, everything I'm looking at, as far as this casting goes, looks mm-hmm. great to me. And I have motherfucking Morpheus tattooed on my leg. Yeah, no, this is a big one for you. Uh, I know Cece's going to be pretty excited to see it. As I said, I've never finished Sandman. Not because it's not good, just for for whatever reason, it's not really come up much. Uh, but I don't... Everyone I know who is like into these books is like, oh no, this is a really interesting cast. And let's be honest, Neil Gaiman has a pretty good reputation at this point of making sure things are done right. What I'm most interested in is to see how he's updating it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because unless you're making it a period piece, uh, and even then, just certain things age weird. Yeah, which and I, from what I understand, it's not going to be a period piece. Like the the parts that were set in the modern day in the comic are going to be aged forward, and it's going to be our modern day. Well, and he's. I mean, he's being very protective over this, even though I've heard him talk about how much he just wants to go back to writing books for a while. But uh, he openly said that, like, he is the reason why several of these Sandman movie adaptations never happened. Because Um, people were pushing things he didn't like. And so he's like, nope, we're just not doing this then. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering which ones he shot down. Because I don't think the JGL one he actually shot down. No, if I remember, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was like, hey, they wanted, it basically Joseph Gordon-Levitt was the one that shot down, being like, that's not what I wanted. I right. wanted to do Sandman. Like, Yeah, it sounded like he actually had the right idea going forward, but it, that, that doesn't matter. Sounds like they still have the right idea, idea going forward, so. Mm-hmm. Sue Storm. Oh, okay, Sue Storm. Uh, Might have been overlooked. You know what, I, I did see a number of places uh, pick up this news yesterday, but it still might be overlooked by the average person because most people go, Netflix adaptation soundtrack news. <laughs> but the legendary Japanese composer Yoko Kano will be reprising her role in composing the soundtrack for the Netflix adaptation of Cowboy Bebop. Holy shit. Suddenly I like care again about the live action Cowboy Bebop Netflix adaptation. Dude, as soon as I heard that news yesterday, I like ran and put on Tank. Oh yeah, no, it's great. It's great. Oh my god. Uh Yoko Kano, of course. With the seatbelts again or I believe so. Oh my god, that's so good. Oh, I was about to say, um, if you don't know, Yoko Kano, of course, composed the soundtrack for uh, the original Cowboy Bebop, uh, Visions of Escaflone, um, Wolf's Reign, uh, some uh, video games. Yep, some Gundam, uh, some video games dating all the way back to like uh, Nobunaga's Requiem. Did she do Outlaw Star? Like, I want to say that, but I don't actually know why I want to say that. I could just Oh, be... I don't know off the top of my head, to be honest. All right. I think I Let's named all the ones that I can off the top that, of my then. head. Um... <laughs> I, I think she did, like, an episode of Cardcaptor Sakura. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, and I'm still admittedly on the record of saying a live-action Cowboy Bebop is completely unnecessary and pointless. Uh, not pointless, but completely unnecessary, even though it sounds like the people who are doing this are actually taking it really seriously. Mm-hmm. But for me, Cowboy Bebop is one of the perfect pieces of media. The animation is top-notch, and it holds up today. The voice cast, both American and Japanese, were excellent. And you never, you if you're watching anime, you never get a great voice cast for both languages. Right. It's just unheard of. And the fact that it's animated was part of what worked for me. And I've gone on the record before of being driven nuts with, oh, this was a cool cartoon. We have to make it a live action series now and people will take it seriously. <laughs> but uh like I I am sure there are critiques of Cowboy Bebop that are legitimate, but it's one of those pieces of media that I don't really have anymore. I just even the only okay episodes are a wild ride for me. But the music is such a big part of Cowboy Bebop and it's why Yoko Kano was like a household name for anime fans in the early 2000s when I was like in high school and when I was really into anime. Yeah, that was, it's just super exciting news all around. Um, I, I had an ex that would throw on the Wolf's Rain soundtrack at any given moment. So oh, yeah. I have heard just a ton of Yoko Kano. <laughs> I mean, both CT and I still will randomly put on the Cowboy Bebop soundtrack. I recently just added it to a Spotify playlist because I was just like, oh, yeah. Right. So good. So good. I have I have some of those. I have a surprising number of those songs memorized for someone who's not as into music as I am. Uh, for last one, Johnny Storm. This is our hot new thing or hot thing. Um, and I don't know if. Okay, I'll say this. This is the only time in history, I think, that the uh, DC League of Super Pets will make our Johnny Storm hot young thing. Uh, they announced the cast for DC animated movie DC's League of Super Pets, which had been announced, but it was one of those that just, like, they said they were doing it, and I completely stopped paying attention immediately. Right. But they announced the cast, and... What the hell? How did they get this cast? Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, is in it. Uh, I should oh, I should also say we only have one person confirmed on who they're playing. Two people. Two people. Is is Dwayne playing crypto? Because that would make sense to me. Yep, Dwayne is crypto. Uh, Kevin Hart will be playing Ace the Bat Hound. Mm-hmm. And the rest of these, we don't know who's playing them or who they're playing, but we have Keanu Reeves, Vanessa Bayer, John Kroninsky, Kate McKinnon, Diego Luna, and Natasha Leone. That's yeah. wild. I um, love seeing Natasha Leone's name in there with all of those. Like she seems like weirdly the odd one out of that cast. Even though I know like, I, even though I know like she's a big star in her own right. I don't want to take that away from her, but com- like just on the scale much of different other... roles in general than the rest of them are taking. Mm-hmm. Help me place Natasha Leone. I'm loading up her picture right now, but I'm just going to let you finish loading up the picture then because I'm sure you'll recognize her, but Oh, she's orange is the new black. Yeah. And Russian doll. And I don't know if she's the main Russian doll, but 
Okay, so she's been in a lot of stuff. The okay, this I'm excited about this. I'm not going to try to say I'm not, but mm-hmm. the only there is one thing I don't like about this, and I, I'm always iffy on. I don't like stunt casting animated voices. Yeah, I would rather they give it to professional voice actors. I don't. Um, there are exceptions to that. If you write a role for a specific actor, cool. Mm-hmm. But too often they just try to play it like a normal movie where they're getting this actor just for the name recognition. And it doesn't always work. I will say Dwayne Johnson has a, I mean, I really liked him in Moana. I thought he played that role pretty well. So it could be, it could work. I, I mean, I agree. I don't think anybody in this voice cast is going to do bad. I think they've mm-hmm. all done voice work. I don't know if Krasinski has, but. I don't know if Krasinski has. Um, I don't know how much voice work Kate McKinnon does, but she does seem like a shoe in for like being a good voice actor. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, I'm excited. I'm I'm curious to see who everyone's playing before I get any more excited. I really desperately want Keanu Reeves to be playing Dexter, the Red Lantern cat. <laughs> oh my god, that would be amazing. Uh, and I want someone to play Torpo, the Aquaman pet octopus, but mostly because I cannot resist, and you've heard this in one of our other podcasts if you listen to New Island, I cannot stop talking about Torpo, the Aquaman octopus pet. Well, that's going to be, yeah. I I say uh, Diego Luna for Torpo and okay. uh, John Krasinski for Comet. No, no Comet. <laughs> no Comet. I don't know if that episode of New Violet has come out yet, but no Comet ever. Um, it might come out this same week. I can't remember. Oh God. It might already be out. It might already Unfortunately, be Unfortunately, who I want John Kroninsky to play is a Marvel character. I want him to be Throg, Frog of Thunder. Oh yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think that is our news for today. I agree. Let's, let's take a quick break and then we'll talk about the block and attacking it. So this might be one of my uh, country boy things shining through here. When I think of a block, I think of like a full city block with like multiple houses and stuff. I forget that when people talk about like, this is our block, in a lot of cases, it's like a giant block apartment. Right. Like, cause, cause the block in this case is like their council housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and, you know, it makes sense that there is a huge apartment buildings. I mean, we, I know they exist in America too, but like this style of block is something that I don't even think of until I'm watching British TV and they treat this as perfectly normal. I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, I'm the only people for a few acres surrounding me right now. So this is odd, but that's Montana versus London, I suppose. So I guess going into this, it wasn't hardcore enough for me to feel like I need to apologize, but I do feel like, like, cause I, I was the one to suggest this cause it's been on, on my to watch mm-hmm. list for a while and I knew a lot of really basic things about it. I didn't realize it was as much of a horror movie as it is 
Otherwise, no, I would have suggested. Otherwise, I would have suggested it as like a crossover episode. <laughs> I did have the thought that this movie uh, was sitting right on the edge of like which podcast you should be watching it for for you. So I it, I feel like I always had it described to me as being more on the action comedy sci-fi side. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a little more horror than I was expecting it to be. And not and not in a bad way at all. This didn't have much any of the horror tropes that I dislike. So uh, it, it was really well done. Uh, in case you have not picked up, because I don't know if we've actually said it yet, we this week watched Attack the Block. It came out in 2011. It was directed by Joe Cornish. Yeah, who went on to do the first Ant-Man. Oh, okay. After um, Marvel decided they weren't in the Edgar Wright business. Ugh. I understand why Edgar Wright and Marvel did not mesh, but I'm still so sad. That would have been such a weird, cool movie. Yeah, I agree. I do feel like there's some scenes in that first one that still sort of feel Edgar Wright. still pretty Edgar Wright-ish, yeah. Um, so part of the reason we picked this movie was we had no neither of us had ever seen it and we knew almost nothing about it other than the kind of like horror comedy action sci-fi combo yeah i uh, knew what, i knew um john boyega jody whitaker mm-hmm. aliens attacking a block kids defending it that's what i okay, knew going so, into it so you knew more than i did because i knew john boyega jody whitaker it was somehow sci-fi related and it's the movie people use when they're trying to explain that they're not racist when talking about Star Wars or not sexist when talking about Doctor Who. Oh, no, I'm not sexist for hating Jodie as the Doctor. I thought she was great and attacked the block. On that note, I sh- we should probably also point out that part of the reason we're doing this is because we needed something kind of easy to slot into. And usually <laughs> our fallbacks are either Star Wars or Doctor Who. Yeah, right? We discussed both of them and went, hey, what about this? Which, honestly, I'm glad we went with this. I've been wanting to watch this for a while, and uh, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, I guess um, what um, you knew, I mean, I knew that it was aliens. I I knew the creature design. I'd even seen, like, the aliens. Mm -hmm. So, like, what? I had no, I just knew something sci-fi. I had no concept if it was futuristic or like cyberpunk or I, I did not know it was aliens attacking, attacking in the modern day. I knew Nick Frost was somehow involved. So was there knowing that little going into it, mm-hmm. was there a point while watching it where like you had that click moment where it's like, Oh, I am going to enjoy the rest of this. You know, I was pretty I was pretty in from the beginning and I don't know why I went in being like pretty positive that I was going to enjoy this beyond I like John Boyega and I like Jodie Whittaker and Mm. Nick Frost. But I think the moment that we saw the really stupid, but like entertaining kid gang hanging out and being tough kids, Mm -hmm. Uh, I was pretty signed on. I will say, you will never convince me that John Boyega was 15 in this movie. Oh, no. Hell no. No, he is. And he, uh, how old would he have been while filming this? He uh, 
would have been like 20, I think. Maybe not that old. Well, it came out in 2011. He was born in 1992. So, oh, God, he was born in 92. I feel old. Yeah, so what's the math on that? He's 19 in this, so I guess. So, yeah. So, I would have guessed early 20s, so it's not as far off as I thought. Yeah. But, like, there but is no, a big he, difference he's, generally uh, between 15 and 19. Like, yeah, he, no, I ain't buying 15 in this. Although, I would have guessed, like, 22, 23, not 19. So. Yeah, so obviously, we are terrible at guessing how old John Boyega is. It was. I actually watched Force Awakens just a couple days ago because I'm going to start slowly going through the sequel trilogy again because I've only seen Rise of Skywalker in theaters. Mm. Mm-hmm. But, but I wanted to watch them in much closer succession. And I had the thought of as much as like I have all of those critiques, those movies really do still do it for me. And like I, I really like Boyega as Finn, but watching this movie made me really realize like, oh man, he's not wrong in his critiques of Rise of Skywalker where they just didn't give him anything to work with because Boyega has a surprisingly like good range in this movie. And I say surprising, not because like Boyega, but because it would have been really easy for the young gang leader that we never dive too much into to have no range here. For real. I was watching this movie and I was kind of like, I, I, I think I need to make a retraction on my one of my previous episodes and uh, John Boyega for Cyclops. Yeah, man, I'd be into that. I like that a lot, actually, now that you say that. <laughs> oh, my God, that's good. Marvel, Marvel, do this. <laughs> also, like kind of uh, Franz Drama as Cyclops, too. Like either one. Which one was he? Uh, Dennis. The one that went on to be um, uh, Firestorm in the Arrowverse. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Oh, that also is good. I didn't realize that was him. Jesus. Yeah, that was Firestorm. Uh, One thing I liked about this movie is we're seeing these, like, British punk kids. And part of it is, you know, Britain. And part of it is because they're, like, a small-time street toughs gang that like you know rob people and sell some weed mm-hmm. but so they're not like hardcore but if this had been an american movie she's so pointed out that to me there would be high speed chases and there'd be you know as i pointed out there'd be guns everywhere in this one they have like a club some sort of japanese sword that someone's like had hanging on the wall of their house a couple of mopeds and a bicycle like this is a much smaller scale alien invasion kind of thing and I think part of this movie's charm is it really is this is not the whole world's under attack and like we're seeing what happens on this block no just this block is under attack I did I did try to look up a little bit of like extra info on this mm-hmm. and I I this is a, uh, I just don't know a good time where to work this in, but I thought you would no, get a kick out of this little this little bit of info. The 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 little kids, Probs and Mayhem. Yeah, they're the best part of this movie, by the way. The director tried to get like a true like method take where they didn't get to see the creature design until their first interaction with it. 
because he wanted like the real reactions. Yeah. Their real reactions, which they didn't end up using and he had to make them act instead was them just bursting up fucking laughing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man. And that, I mean, that design was not bad either. Like it was no. pretty well done, but <laughs> that actually perfectly aligns with those two kids. Right. Who, as I said, were the best part. And the moment they had a squirt gun, CG's like, that's not full of water. <laughs> and then the kid was like, yeah, that's not full of water. <laughs> that's not full of water. Like, yeah, that's so, they're the only, like, everyone should have just followed them this whole movie. Yeah, that'd be pretty great. I think like you, I was pretty in on this movie from the get-go. Mm-hmm. But I was surprisingly, I don't want to say it was that I was more in because of this but I was suddenly like put on the edge of my seat and having to like watch every moment when they suddenly turned up the stakes and actually like killed Dennis. Yeah. Once they actually offed a couple of members, you were like, Oh, okay. That, that might've been, yeah, that might've been one of the more surprising parts to me. Cause up until that moment, it seems like the kind of film where it's like, Oh, they're doing a good job of like making you feel the terror still. They don't really have to kill anybody. Oh, oh no. Yes, we will. Yeah. Uh, this movie, it would have been so easy. And I think if this had been an American main movie, it would have gone this way to be a much more like slapstick kind of humor and film. Mm-hmm. But they really did a good job of like, it's funny, but without turning any characters into caricatures. And then when they decide to like turn the serious button on it's done like it's serious and then they can slip back to the comedy because of that i don't know it, it was just a very good balance of this movie i thought do you have have you read anything about like where the inspiration and stuff came from nope i uh this is probably bad podcasting but i pretty purposely looked up basically nothing I mean, it's not the most interesting thing. I mean, it's not like there's any super cool story like, oh, do do, do this, this or this. But it is interesting that one of the things that kind of sticks out about this movie was done intentionally. And it was uh, supposed to be a little bit more like realistic, both a realistic look like, look, if you're like you said, like in a in a big blown up like budget action movie. Mm -hmm. They're going to be grabbing all sorts of crazy guns and stuff. These kids are just grabbing bats and knives. Jodie Whittaker goes back in and grabs her fucking kitchen knife, but also just a lot of movies tend to play any sort of youth gang as entirely bad. Mm -hmm. And although these aren't necessarily good kids. They're not demonized in this movie. They're shown for like, they do shitty things, but they're a family and you can like empathize. Yep. And you know, in several cases, like in what is Boyega's character's name? Moses. Yeah. In Moses's case, we don't see a lot, but we see the signs that like, you know, he doesn't have a great home life. It'd be really easy for everything to go dark for him. And he, 
I kind of got the sense he sort of does what he needs to do to survive. And like a lot of places where people go into crime, it's because it's the option available to them to, you know, get out of poverty. Yeah. That uncle ain't uh, there. He, yeah. And as they like say, even still, as he sits there, like, you know, he may do that, but it's also his block. He's not wanting to wreck it. He's just also wanting to, you know, occasionally mug some people and sell some weed. The character that does get entirely villainized, and I'm all for it, is the character that I think needs to get villainized more often, is the the weed dealer who uh, thinks that they're like a hardcore gangster on the block because they sell weed. Oh yeah, high hats. Yeah. The guy who so clearly thought he was a gangster and got people killed because he thought he was like a tough, tough gangster. But was really just a dipshit. Yeah. Mm. Plus just egocentric asshole. If he could have looked uh, past yeah. himself for a second, like in that right before he bites it, if he just would have turned, he probably still would have got killed. But like he could have shot a few of them. Uh-huh. Well, and then he's wasting his bullets on trying to get Jody Whitaker's character and Moses. Like, no, man. That is not your priority when the monsters who, by the way, keep reminding me of the monsters from Bone. Like, the Jeff Smith comic. Oh, yeah, a little bit, huh? That's funny. Put on, like, big googly eyes, and it would look like Bone. <laughs> Have one of them mention a quiche? Yeah. Make one quiche obsessed. Actually, I almost would love this movie more if one of the random monsters <laughs> kept talking about fish. Oh, I really like the monsters were all like matte black, like very purposely not even having any light reflecting off it. And then except for the teeth, which glow, that makes no sense. But God, it looks cool. Oh, it was so cool. It was so cool. Yeah, that that monster design sticks with me. That's one of the, that's one of the cooler aliens I've seen. Well, and I like, it's one of the things I like about, like, low-budget sci-fi, but the ones that are still, like, trying, is you know you don't have the money to do literally whatever you want, so you have to, like, if you want to be good, you have to have a pretty simple design, but one that, like, is memorable. Mm -hmm. If this had been a huge budget, the whole world's attacking, yada, 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 they could have made the demons, and they probably would have made the demons a lot less memorable because they would have put in so much detail that it just gets lost well yeah because well, it's like one. well not just that like it's you you touched on the budget reasons like mm -hmm. fur is hard to animate and they obviously wanted to make them furry but if you make it so black that there's no actual detail except for the edges then suddenly you made it a lot easier again well, and it's cool, too, because you can kind of maintain that shadowy shape feeling no matter what. Because there's, like, a lot of monsters that when they're in the shadows and you're seeing bits of them, they look pretty cool. And then you actually see them and you're like, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Unless it's made by, like, Stan Winston. You're like, uh, yeah, okay. That's yeah, fine. This one, they never quite get out of the shadows even when they are. So it's just, yeah. I do have to ask, completely unrelated to their fur. What fucking fireworks are you able to buy in Britain that are doing the kind of damage that they're doing with these fireworks? The only, I mean, 
the only thing I was able to figure on that was it's it wasn't doing so much damage as it was just overloading their senses because presumably their other senses are turned up having no eyesight. Yeah. Well, and they do seem pretty weak to fire compared to literally anything else. Mm-hmm. So I guess I could still see that, but it was just every once in a while I'm like, how are these fireworks so much more effective than a gun? Right. I Man, I said it already, but I just... I was kind of blown away by how weirdly realistic this movie was. Mm-hmm. Like, as soon as they, they killed that first one, I'm like... Without knowing that this is where the movie was going, I was like, oh, well, you you sell that shit. And then they're like, oh, man, who can we sell this to? I'm like, see? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think one thing that helped ground it in realism is there was no, like... There was no male gaze moment in this movie. There was no, like, someone is, for the most part, no one's, like, pausing to pose sexually. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a little bit with John Boyega, but it's mostly, like, cool guy pose before he goes and blows up an apartment. Yeah, also, yeah. man, Boyega can scowl with the best of them. Yeah, he can. I think I've only seen him as Finn before that, who is not a scowler. Right, like he's not happy go lucky, but he's not he's not Moses. Yeah. So uh nice little bit of range from Boyega there. And honestly, Boyega should be a much bigger star than he is, and I know it's because he keeps calling out problems, but also good for you, John Boyega, call out problems where they exist. Um so you have you have more experience with Whitaker. What did you think of her mm-hmm. in this? compared to having seen her mostly in Doctor Who. I'm going to say that the character was somewhat unremarkable, but I don't even mean that in a bad way. Like, if you're going to portray a normal fucking person who is, what was, she was just a graduated med student, if I remember. Like, she... Yeah, a trainee nurse. Yeah, because she was working, but she had just graduated. This is about how you would expect someone to respond in most of those things. Like, she handles it better than most people would, but, like... You know, at no point does this character become a giant badass. Does it, at no point is this character, like, a huge hero. She's just a person surviving. And I thought Whitaker did a really good job of portraying that. And it was interesting, because I've uh, Whitaker's the same way. I've only seen her in Doctor Who, where she plays, you know, the great whimsical hero of space-time. You know, you still... I'm trying to figure out how I want to put this you still definitely saw Whitaker. Like, there's... Who she is as a person still shows through pretty strong in both of these roles. But there's none of the weird whimsy from the Doctor. She plays a completely different character. And I think she does a pretty... It's another one of... I was impressed with some of the range that I was seeing. Dennis's death surprised me, but I was sad to see Jerome go. Yeah, I... I mean, I was sad to see all the people that died. But yeah, Jerome was, like... Because Jerome was, like, the most normal of all of them and, like, the most reasonable of all of them for the most part, if it's who I'm thinking of. Mm -hmm. It is. He's like, no, you're the person I want to live through all. Well, I want all of them to live through it. Um, What was the name of kind of, like, the doofy white boy sidekick? Oh, Pest? Pest was great. Pest was amazing. I love Pest's little crush towards Han Whitaker towards the end, too. Yeah. Man, you saved my leg. You're kind of cute. This is great. Where's your boyfriend? 
Oh, man. Nick Frost, that was good. Almost distracting, though, I have to admit. Nick Frost pulled me out of it more than anyone else, maybe just because I've seen more with Nick Frost. This was a pretty unremarkable role for him. Like, I mean, he doesn't do bad, but it was, for me, a little more, oh, hey, look, it's Nick Frost, as opposed to, like, the character they're playing. Mostly opposite him, though, like... uh I don't know if I'd ever seen Luke Treadway in anything, and I liked Bruis. That was a lot of fun. Was he the poor white boy stoner that just desperately was like, I just I just want to sell some weed. Like, please, what is happening today? Yeah, I'm way too high for this. <laughs> that's it. That's the guy. Uh, yeah, he clearly, he just wants to sell some weed. He just wants to watch a nature documentary, hang out. But now. Yeah, all this shit starts going on. Also, apparently, Inspire, uh, Cornish wrote uh, Brewis based on himself in his 20s. <laughs> Living at home and selling weed to get by. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I know plenty of people who have done it. Um, so, apparently, they're making a sequel to this. And John Boyega is attached. And... You said Cornwall wrote this? Cornish. God, I'm bad. Cornish. I'm so bad with names. Cornish is like writing and I believe directing it again. So like I'm I'm open to the possibility. But it is definitely one of those movies where it's like, do we need an Attack the Block 2? Well, I think I'm wondering if this is where it's going to go. This was something that was brought up when it sort of first went through its like Mm-hmm. opening and first got a, a round of reviews and it was good reviews, but there was a few that pointed out like these aliens, as we see them are all basically just animals, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're, they're just following their, their mating cycle from what we learn in the movie. And they seem to be more akin to just, I don't know, really like destructive big animals in heat it kind of made me think of like the xenomorphs from alien there's no like deeper plot there they're just but here's the thing the pods that they showed up in were carved and designed Mm -hmm. for them so who is sending these things exactly i just for me what i'm curious about like if they just have it just the block is attacked again I have the question of, are you going to be able to like land that right? Like, is that, how is that going it, to, it's going to have to, I mean, it'll, it'll be bigger. Huh. It'll start in the block, but it's going to be attack the block and name only. And they're going to be safe. And that's kind of where it bums me out. There was something, there was something I really liked about such a localized alien invasion as opposed to grand scale. I think there's but, ways you can still play it. I feel like, um, even though it took course across the city they did a really good job of making the last purge movie feel really localized okay i could see that um Um, but that's going to be what's important like not because if you go too big you're just going to lose the point of it i also don't necessarily i could see it happening especially with the final scene of him with the sword and the uh no sleeves and the scowl him kind of having a Sarah Connor between Terminator and Terminator 2. 
Oh, yeah. Where yeah. he's going like off the deep end tough guy, but I don't necessarily want that. I kind of want that just because he never got to be as badass as they should have made him in Star Wars. <laughs> okay, I'll give you that. Like, yeah, I want him to get to like lead a good action movie. I don't just. Uh, we've talked so much about the realism of Attack the Block. For yeah, such I don't an unrealistic thing. Right. Yeah, I guess so I don't I, want them to lose that. Yeah. I, I don't want to go from, you know, Ash and Evil Dead to Ash and Army of Darkness. Or at least, yeah, or at least the simulated realism where it feels like something that you would want to at least try to do if you were in that situation. Mm-hmm. Because, like, like some of the, the fucking scooter work over, like, the walkways and shit was probably pushing it, but... I don't know why that I thought of this here, but possibly my favorite line in this entire movie is when like the kids are trying to patrol the uh, the corridors, and they're like, "Go home, lock your doors, watch Naruto." Yeah, <laughs> that was awesome. And I'm sitting here looking at like the manga shelves of my giant comic collection, and Naruto is right in front of me, and I'm like, "Oh, okay." Like, I'm older than John Boyega, but he's clearly talking to me in this. I I will say if there are others of you out there that are listening to this and being like, why haven't I watched this movie? Why don't people talk about it more? I will say this uh, is one of those movies that got kind of screwed upon its opening. Did yeah, what happened? So when it got when it got screen tested, it actually did really well across the board. And I don't know if there's I don't know. I haven't heard anything of like the behind the scenes of what would have caused this, but in the 25 markets, it was tested. It did had an excellent rating in 22 of them and only a very, and a very good in the other three. But then, uh, they only released it into 11 markets with no website and only a single trailer released a week before it dropped. Oh, so advertising super dropped the ball is what you're telling me. I mean, not just advertising. They tested it in 25 markets, 22 where it did excellent, and then only released it into 11. Yeah, that's bizarre. This movie should have been, I feel like, you know, Shaun of the Dead level big, where it's not like an American powerhouse, but it's that weird kind of small British movie that does way better than anyone expected. Mm Mm-hmm. But, no, they micro release this that's insane and i'm not sure like i'm not sure i I wonder what the story is there because somebody had to have been pissed at somebody right yeah right that does feel like a uh this is being purposely sunk kind of thing uh luckily it's continued to have good word of mouth and good enough word of mouth that it it made it onto my to watch list i guess because this was fantastic and i'm glad i finally got to it Mm mm-hmm this has been, and I think this was true for both of us, on that, like, oh, man, I should watch that someday list for ever since I first heard about it. In my case, ever since I first heard about just, you know, Jody and John sci-fi flick together. And I dug the soundtrack. We hadn't brought that up yet. I thought it was a killer soundtrack. Basement Jacks worked on that. I love Where Is Your Head At. Yeah, I... 
it's not music I traditionally listen to, but it's music that I've been growing to appreciate more in the last year or two. Um, that was very well done. I didn't, it didn't like stand out to me as much, but I don't review movies as significantly as you do. I just kind of like watching and be like, Oh, I thought that was great. I talk about movies every week over on fried squirms and this kind of movie every week on fried squirms. I'm not the soundtrack guy. That's Danny. This one just happened. I was like, Oh man, this sounds familiar. And then I looked it up later, like, oh, shit, Basement Jacks, where's your head at? (laughs) Made it, like, the song was pretty good, but it made it really hard to take it seriously every time uh, Dipshit Hi-Hat, or whatever his name was. Oh, yeah, that. Was, like, singing it and doing the lick mode. He just was, I mean, he had a gun and killed several people, so, like, he actually was pretty tough, but... He just doesn't want to be to me. Just terrible muzzle discipline with that gun. Um, oh, yeah. Oh. Ooh. Should not be trusted with a gun. The one other thing that was super distracting for me, are you are you familiar with the song Man's Not Hot by no, Big Shaq? I no. I don't think I've ever even heard of it. So I can't remember the name of the actual comedian. Uh, Big Shaq is a character from a a UK-based comedian uh, who is an overblown stereotype of the Roadman subculture. The Roadman subculture is also very linked to uh, multicultural London English. Okay. So that whole song is done in a very overblown version of the exact same dialect that they were using this entire movie. Okay. And the song, it's hilarious. Like it's a comedy song. It's a fucking, it's a character from a a comedy act, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's every, it's all of this and more. And every time anybody spoke in this movie, I was like, man, it's not hot. Oh, (laughs) so good. Um, I don't know what else to say about this right now. To be honest. It's a hard one to talk about because we're just like, yeah, but this is really fun. Uh, was there anything that didn't work for you in this movie? No. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, like, I might think of something later, but uh, this movie falls under. I mean, I'd give this movie probably like an A, A minus, maybe. Like, it's it's not going to hit any of my like top ten lists, but if you know, I would super rewatch this movie again, like pretty much any time. Oh yeah, um, I will be rewatching it in like half a year when we cover it on Fried Squirms. But I told Danny, <laughs> I told Danny we can't uh, do it right away, or else I'm just going to end up saying all the same goddamn things. So yeah, give yourself some time to think about that. Uh, but I've already made plans to watch it again. Perfect. I, I love this movie. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm going to show it to a few people now. Uh, any recommendations for? Recommend it. Yeah. You know what? Um, in the vein that like I was pointing out that this movie kind of feels weirdly not bad, but weirdly familiar. And you like, you kind of know what's coming up until the point Dennis dies. I, I'm going to go with something along those lines. It's another mostly lighthearted, mostly lighthearted horror movie called summer of 84 that is 
uh, kind of just a modern made um, 80s coming of age horror movie. So like one of those ones that would have star like an eight to 12 year old who's not getting in too much peril, but is like sneaking into neighbors houses because they're, you know, sure that this is going on. Mm-hmm. It's sort of that that sort of film. Kind of just about growing up. And what did you say this was called? It's called Summer of 84. Oh, I've heard of this. Yeah, I'm into it. Yeah. My recommendation is going to be completely out of left field. I'm just getting that out there. It is the Sonic and Mega Man comic crossover. Like Sonic the Hedgehog and Mega Man, you know, classic 8-bit little robot blue shooty guy. Okay. Because I am sitting here looking at my comic collection being like, I forgot to pick a recommendation until Tyler started talking. And this book, I don't know if, you know how we've talked about that difference between like good and fun? Mm -hmm. This is not a great comic in a lot of ways. This is not, you know, if I'm recommending a good comic, it's Sandman, it's Saga, it's Grant Morrison's Animal Man. This is just the writer Ian Flynn going, you know what? I get to go wild here and picked two of the like most out there video, like big in the nineties video game properties that Archie had the rights to both of uh, making comic stuff at the time and crossed them over. And we have Dr. Wiley teaming up with Dr. Eggman from Sonic and crushing the two worlds together and doing just, insane stuff um yeah none of this sounds good but it sounds incredible yeah exactly like i don't know if you ever read any of the sonic comic books Mm -mm. uh they're not great but they did run for like 300 issues and developed a what uh while archie still had them this wildly intense like continuity and crossovers and power levels and like character histories that they took do they, Seriously. Do they ever explain the bat boobs? Uh, no. I can't they remember just, that character's name, but they just recognize that they're uh, a solid half. Their fan base was furries. And while they were never like super explicit, definitely gave like the occasional pinup shot. It is. That makes this sound way weirder than this one <laughs> itself was. Uh, the art is like good. It's a very uh, it's a very pretty comic book. It's very dumb, but again, you're reading the Sonic and Mega Man crossover book. You're not going into this thinking you're going to find high art, but if you are someone like me that it just enjoys comic book crossovers to make you go, you know, I never would have thought of that, but I can kind of see like why they did. This is the book for you. If you're a person that pays attention to the story in any of the Super Smash Bros. games, this is the book for you. All right. <laughs> I'm not that person, but I do own this book. Uh, we know what we're doing next time? Yes, we are doing Gideon the Ninth by... Let me look up that author's name. I'm only listening to the book. There's no reason I'd actually remember who wrote it. Um, I know. I've actually been reading it on my lunchtimes at work, and I still <laughs> don't know the name. 
by Tasman Moor. The, the only hook that I will give for this novel is it was sold to me as necromancer space lesbians. And I went, yep, let's do this. And that's and how I you sold it to me. To you too. Yeah. And I was like, Ooh, necromancer space lesbians. I'm in. I was like, this is either going to be super trashy or honestly, surprisingly good. And either way I'm excited. And, uh, I'm not through the book yet, but so far the answer is kind of both. Yeah, I'm still kind of towards the beginning, but. <laughs> but that's next time. And for this time, I'm Tyler. I'm Zach. Dismissed. Dismissed. Hi, everybody. General Tyler here. If you like the show, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, or preferably over at Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate it, as the whole world is ran on algorithms, and we want to be all up in them, getting our voice out to more places. Uh, also, I mean, tell your friends, we always appreciate that. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, ask us questions, give us comments, Email us, generalnerderypod at gmail.com. You can also contact us through our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. Uh, while you're there, check out all of our back catalog, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, go check out all of our sister shows. We're involved with most of them, so if you already like listening to us talk, it might be in your best interest. And if you want to check out everything from the network, head over to earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. We'd super appreciate it. Love you all. Have a good one.